hey man, I'm the only one. I'm the only one up here tonight, so you may not need this one. You could just go through this. Fine. Good evening. It's good to see those who are here with us tonight. Uh, glad to have you with us uh, online there. Uh, hopefully uh, you're there with us on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, subscribe. Uh, click the notification bell uh, there. Give us the thumbs up. It's also all those things. If you could do all those things, share it. That just helps uh, with the algorithms there to get everything out before others. If you're new to us, please do uh, subscribe there uh, and follow us uh, on Facebook. If you have the opportunity there, uh, also welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. Almost forgot you guys. Uh, glad to have you with us tonight. And if you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, also, uh, just remember you can go to our church website. It's under the uh, church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com under the info tab uh, that you can download uh, tonight's uh, or this week's bulletin, uh, the children's worship bulletins. You can send those links to anybody you want. Uh, use those as an, a resource to invite others uh, to come and join us. Uh, also, it's a little way you can use that for outreach. And then uh, while you're there under that info tab, uh, you can also download the prayer list. So be sure uh, to get that uh, downloaded. And uh, while you're there on the church website, you can also do your giving. Uh, you go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there. Really easy platform for you to set up your online giving, so I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that too. You can do that in person uh, in the offering plates as the offering envelopes are in the windowsill uh, all around. Um, in just a moment, I will get myself over to Facebook Live because if you want to give us a prayer request, uh, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, on Facebook, that's where we'll see uh, the live requests uh, that are there. And so I encourage you to take that time to do that. Uh, you can begin now. You don't have to wait until uh, we get to the prayer list time. Let me get up here. Let me turn my volume down. All right. So I'm up there. I've got Facebook on. Uh, so you can give those prayer requests. And then again, at the very end, uh, we'll check those and uh, see if there's any other prayer requests. But we'll go over our prayer list uh, in just a little bit. Let me lay these aside. Brother Mike is not here uh, with us uh, tonight. And what page are we on? 448. Yes, okay. I had 480-something in my head. So we're going to be singing tonight, uh, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Pat may just break out into a little Southern Gospel style with it. <laughs> but uh, you sing along with us, uh, Just a Closer Walk with Thee, number 448. Uh, at home, you'll see it there on the screen for you. So uh, let's stand as we sing our song tonight. is my plea daily walking close to thee let it be dear Lord let it be through this world of toil and snares if I falter Lord who cares who with me my burden shares none but thee a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. When my 
my feeble life is o'er. Time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. is my plea daily walking close to thee let it be dear Lord let it be you can be seated but Miss Pat play a little bit of southern gospel with that now for us <laughs> play one verse in the chorus Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. And I hope you enjoyed it uh, there at home, too. Uh, hopefully, you've had the opportunity to get your prayer list downloaded from online. If you need one of these in person, they're on the front pew up here at the front that you can grab one. If somebody comes in late, will you make sure uh, that they get one of these? Uh, so as you look at the Highland Baptist Church uh, family, uh, just to uh, go through a few here that I know just a little bit about Brenda Gilbert. Uh, she's just a tad bit better, but still has a lot of issues that are still going on uh, with her, with her back and stuff. Do you know any more about Cindy Ingram? Okay. All right. So just continue to remember Cindy Ingram. David Hess, uh, we did get a text from uh, Jim uh, the other day, uh, and he shared some with us on Sunday. Let me just share with you what his prayer request uh, is here. And so... Uh, he asked, this was the update, he said next week, this was Sunday, he gave this to us. He said next week is the halfway point of David's chemo treatments that are every Friday for 12 weeks. He said thank you for all the prayers from our, all our church congregation. Uh, David is doing well through it all. Uh, next week he'll get a scan uh, to see how his lung nodules are doing plus the original tumor on his heart. And they'll be finding a date to do the open heart surgery to remove the tumor somewhere late September, October. And then Jim also has had some vehicle issues and stuff and then traveling. So be in prayer for him that he's able uh, to go and, and be there with uh, David with all that's going on there too. Uh, and I believe that's not this week, but next week will be his scan, correct? Yeah. Right. So it'll be a little bit later. Uh, Phil Henderson is going to be having his uh, knee replacement. I believe that's on the 21st, so we want to remember him uh, in our prayers. Sandra Wells uh, is going to be having hers uh, a little bit later this month also with her kidney stones. Uh, and uh, just remember her with that and her torn tendon. Uh, has anyone heard any more about Miss Leona? Not either. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, Mark Raymond, uh, he is recovering, but it's a slow process of healing uh, for his foot. Uh, the other issues that he was having seem to be doing okay, uh, but just continue to pray that things continue to heal well uh, for him. Miss Carolyn Waller uh, had her procedure last week, and she, she was still in some pain this past uh, Sunday. Uh, anybody heard from her since Sunday? Okay, that's the latest that I had. Do you want to remember Rick Miller and his family with the passing of his mother? We sent that notification out uh, that his mom's funeral or memorial service is going to be later this month. So keep that in your keep that in him and his family in your prayers. Uh, Linda Jones, uh, we have several Lindas. Uh, she sits about halfway back on this side uh, and comes with John, I believe is his name, right? What's his last name? Watts, yes, John Watts. Uh, she is in the hospital. Uh, they were going to keep her overnight. This was yesterday. Uh, she was having some, some heart, high blood pressure issues, and they were going to monitor her. Uh, but that was uh, what he called uh, yesterday to uh, let us know that and to keep her on the prayer list. So uh, she has some high blood pressure issues. Remember her in prayer. She's here at Harton. And then Brian Tate has got an upcoming procedure uh, and uh, doctor's visit this week. So keep him in your prayers for all that he's 
uh, going through. If you'll notice down on the nursing home, home assisted living list there, we have moved Miss Janet. She actually was released from NHC today and was moved to MacArthur Manor over in Manchester. So we do want to remember her in prayer. Hopefully she settles well there. I believe that's probably going to be long-term uh, for her there. She may not be going back home there, but uh, just want to, uh, hopefully she can, uh, but we'll just continue to pray uh, for that. Uh, of course, we've removed my f uh, cousin's family. We have uh, had been praying for them, uh, but her son, uh, she passed away, but uh, her son Hunter Cruz uh, has colon cancer also, same type of cancer she had. They did do surgery on him, removed part of his colon. Uh, he's healing well from it. He's, he has the advantage of being young uh, in his 20s, and so uh, hopefully things will heal well and continue to improve there, and they, they, the doctors felt like they had a good prognosis uh, for him. Uh, anything you want to share about Matthew Ratcliffe? Okay, so Matthew Ratcliffe is at home, improving, got the nurses lined up. He's doing uh, rehabilitation at home, I believe that's right, so keep him in your prayers. Um, continue to remember Laura Hendricks. Uh, when I talked to Becky the other day, uh, she's still uh, struggling with her situation, so keep her in your prayers. And then also we had the family of Libby Kine uh, there. And then um, I had a couple of others. We removed Kim Saunders off the prayer list. Matt, uh, um, Brian had asked us or told us we could remove her. Uh, she is cancer-free, so we praise the Lord uh, for that. And so that was the other one that I had a notification of. Does anybody else have any other updates? Or Yes. And so that was about Katie Jo Bailey. Uh, she normally has been going uh, to St. Jude, and uh, it was a situation that's upcome uh, that they are not going to be able to do there, so she was sent to Nashville, you said, right? Let me see if I get that up here. And that is Jake. Okay, so Jake is, how, how many days did you say? Okay, so he's doing outpatient therapy, right? Uh, two days a week at the center and then three days at home. So just continue to remember him uh, in that. Um, the situation with Katie Joe uh, is that there are no critical care transplant doctors in the Memphis area that are specialists in what she needs for pulmonary healing uh, and support. So they did move her uh, to Vanderbilt. Um, it says that uh, she does have future flare. Uh, she does have future flares. Their critical care unit will be capable uh, of handling her needs. Uh, so keep her uh, in your prayers with all that she's going through there with Katie Joe. Any other updates? Okay, so uh, that's Katie Pugh who's on our list, uh, who's had lymphoma. Uh, she's finished her last treatment and is in at home uh, now, and so keep her in your prayers. Any others? Uh, Rhonda is... Um, so she's asking about the update on Rhonda. Rhonda is doing fairly well. 
Um, she does have, uh, she has had a few setbacks. She had to go just this past week for something uh, that, that came up uh, with the situation there, but she's still in a lot of pain. Uh, we'll probably have to wear the colostomy bag for the rest of her life, but she's, uh, they say that technically she's cancer free. Right, but she is in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So they are having a fundraiser to help her with expenses for uh, the, the things that she's had to go through with chemo treatment and all over this past year, and that's going to be this Saturday uh, over at the Ministry Center building um, at Annex 1 there. Any others? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer then uh, for these needs as well as maybe unspoken needs uh, that you have uh, on your heart uh, even tonight. So, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for who you are, and thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to come before your throne of grace. Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that you are a holy and a righteous God who commands us to be holy because you are holy. Lord, as we come into your presence, we understand that we are on holy ground. Father, I pray we would not take our prayers for granted or lightly, knowing we've come into your presence. I pray that we would be able to come with all boldness and assurance and confidence, knowing, Lord, that the answers to our prayers are, are not based in us. They're based in you and your grace and your mercy. Uh, Father, I pray that you would hear our prayers tonight, and for that to happen, we know that you've told us in your word that we need to confess our sins, that there wouldn't be any hindrance in our relationship with you because of those sins. So, Father, we come confessing our sin, asking you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to wash us as white as snow. And so, Lord, we just pray tonight that as we uplift these that are on our prayer list, uh, as we come before you, Lord, we pray that uh, we'll come before you with, with clean hearts, hear our prayers as we're uplifting these. Some, Lord, have, have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, and we just pray, God, that you will comfort their hearts and encourage them uh, through these times. We pray, God, that uh, they will find their strength and their support, their encouragement one day at a time in your presence. Lord, we pray for those who are having upcoming procedures that are going to be uh, happening. Lord, we pray that any anxieties they may have, Lord, that you would uh, alleviate those and just uh, have your hand upon them, Lord, to give them a peace in their hearts that passes all understanding. May they have a confidence knowing, Lord, that you are with them, no matter what the results of their tests or their procedures might be, to know that your will will be done and that you will be glorified and honored through those things. Lord, we pray for those who uh, have more long-term terminal illnesses, and Father, we pray that uh, you would just be with them to, to walk with them one step at a time, one day at a time, not to be overwhelmed by their situations, but Lord, that they would remain faithful to you and you would use their life and their witness as a testimony uh, of your saving grace and your power and your mercy. And so, Lord, we just ask for you to be with not only these individuals, but also their family members, their caregivers, uh, doctors and nurses who are taking care of them. We pray that you'll give them wisdom and discernment. But Father, we just want to give you uh, the glory and the honor for all that you have done and good reports that we've heard tonight, uh, those that we've been able to remove from the prayer list, as well as those, Lord, that we've added, Lord, that we know that you are going to be faithful as you always have been. Uh, to, to bring about the healing that each one of these needs. Lord, there may be other unspoken needs that we have upon our hearts, and we just want to bring those and lay those uh, at the foot of the cross this evening and ask, Lord, for you to just uh, lift those burdens from off of us. And, Lord, may you go before us, make the way straight before us. Father, give us wisdom and discernment as we go forward, and we just pray, God, for your will to be done, for your name to be glorified and honored. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for where we are even tonight as we come to study the book of Micah once again. Father, I pray that this, pow this powerful passage would, would just uh, pierce our hearts, that it would be uh, direction for our lives, that it would renew our minds and give us, Lord, direction for what we should be doing until Jesus comes again. And Father, I pray that you will have your hand upon us to bless us, not only with the reading of your word and the hearing of your word, but especially in the keeping of it, applying it to our hearts and to our lives. So bless your word tonight as we come to join you in this time, Lord. May you speak to us very clearly and very plainly through your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, one other that I did fail to mention is that Leanne went for, Leanne, um, 
um, went, uh, Wells went for her uh, procedure the other day for her biopsy and things looked great from that. Uh, it was small, so small they couldn't even do uh, the biopsy. So we just praise the Lord uh, for that and just continue to keep her in your prayers that everything will continue to, to get better with that. So that was one I did uh, forget there. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of Micah. Uh, Micah is one of those minor prophets we've said before. Uh, there, he's not minor in being a lesser prophet. He is minor only because of the size uh, of his uh, letter that he's written, the message that he's written here for the people of Israel. So we're getting closer to the end of the book of Micah. I've entitled the message tonight, What Does God Want Me to Do? In fact, that's what we're going to find out in this passage that Micah has a word from God uh, to the people about what to do. Uh, these verses that we're going to study tonight uh, really may be some of the greatest verses in all of the prophets. Uh, you'll, you're going to hear at least one of these verses, uh, verse 8 in particular. Uh, you hear it in political speeches. Sometimes you see it on bumper stickers. Uh, we maybe even have recited it somewhere, uh, and, and it's usually being recited all over the world and for good reason. Uh, let me ask you this. Has anybody ever confronted you or accused you of something wrong? Uh, or ever confronted, you, you've ever confronted someone yourself uh, about something they did wrong? Uh, whether, whether they or whether you were innocent or guilty, uh, you probably said something along the lines of prove it. Uh, there was a story I heard that one brother uh, accused the other brother of stealing his candy bar. And, and he looked back, and the, the brother who had uh, had the candy bar looked back and with defiance and great conviction, he said, prove it. Uh, and the brother said, it's missing. And mom and dad said they didn't need it. And then he takes his brother over to the mirror and asks him, what's this all over your mouth? <laughs> he had chocolate all over him. He, had, he hesitated. He said, uh, chocolate? He said, I ate my candy bar. And his brother says, no, you didn't. You ate yours yesterday. To which the brother with the chocolate all over his face says, prove it. Uh, well, this brother rolls his eyes, he calls his mom to the room, and he says, Mom, didn't you see him eat his candy bar yesterday? And she answers, yes, I watched him eat it yesterday. And, you know, with a missing candy bar, denials by everyone else, evidence on the face, and the eyewitness in the room, the verdict was clear, guilty as charged. You know, proof is important. Uh, just having an accusation uh, doesn't make a person guilty. You know, opinions or, or educated guesses, that's not enough to convict someone uh, over uh, or to prove that they've done something uh, wrong. So to show guilt or to show a, a breach of contract, there has to be evidentiary proof. There has to be evidence. In Micah chapter 6 here, you are literally stepping into a legal proceeding regarding a breach of contract. Probably more accurate to say a breach of covenant. Uh, covenant isn't concerned with numbers. It isn't concerned with percentages or bottom lines. Covenant is concerned with relationship. One writer said the scene before us isn't the drama of a criminal court, but of a family court because we're part of the family of God, and so was Israel. They were God's chosen people. So if you will look at here in, in Micah chapter 6, verse 1 down through verse 3. Verse 1 says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. So God has something to say to the nation of Israel here. He has a charge against his people. He, he literally here is calling the creation, the mountains, the hills, to serve as witnesses to the proceedings, to serve as witnesses for the Lord. You know, mountains and hills here are representative symbols of, of permanence. They've always been around. And that's what, the, the, what 
God is saying through Micah here is that they've always been around. They've witnessed it all. Uh, they've seen the activities of both God and man. They can give a testimony of the truth. It's kind of like we might, to, might say today, if those walls could tell us what they heard. You know, you think about that in your house. If I was a fly on the wall, uh, you know, th that's kind of the emphasis here. The mountains, the hills have always been around. They have been permanent. They can testify to the truth. And so the permanence of the mountains, these immovable masses of stone serve as a contrast to the fickle and shifting hearts of the nation of Israel. What we find here is in this message that he is giving to the Israelites is that they have have broken the covenant. Uh, they lived as if they had every right to live whatever way they wanted to, as if God had broken the covenant between them, nullifying the covenant and giving them somehow, giving them some license to live like the nations around them rather than to live as the chosen holy people of God. And so God, in keeping with the patterns of the day, as king sent his messengers, sent his prophets, people like Isaiah, People like Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, and now Micah, uh, in this case Micah, to level the charges and to declare the consequences of breaking the treaty, of breaking the covenant. It was intended, this message, was intended to reestablish order, to reestablish loyalty. If the messenger failed, then the rod of discipline and destruction was coming. If the messenger failed, military action was coming. And that's exactly what they were facing. They were facing, the nation of Israel was, the rod of correction in the hand of the Lord through Assyria and eventually through Babylon. So as we've said before, this message initially was to the northern kingdom, but everything there in their wickedness had, had spread over into the southern kingdom of Judah. And so now the message is for them also. Not only are the Assyrians coming, but eventually the Babylonians are coming. And so God poses this question in verse 3. He basically is saying here, what have I done to give you the right or to cause you to rebel against the covenant we had with each other. In, in other words, in, in, in what way have I harmed you to make you cast aside our relationship? Well, when you look at things, Israel, by their sinful actions, by their ungodly alliances, rather than turning to God, they were turning to other nations. And also because of their idolatry, all of that had begun to act, they had begun to act as a sovereign nation, not one under the rule of God. See, what they originally were to be, they were to be a theocracy. Uh, they were to be uh, where God is their ultimate king and ruler, uh, whose appointed kings followed the moral and spiritual and legal covenant commanded, and they didn't. And so God comes and says, you have declared your independence from me. Where's your grievances? What right did you have? Where have I been in breach of, covenant, of the covenant promises and responsibilities that I made to you? And so we see the Lord God asks them that through Micah's message. And before he allows them to answer, which they couldn't have given a legitimate answer anyway, God begins to repeat to them parts of their shared history that demonstrates he has always been faithful to them. They can't lay any of this at his feet. They can't say that it's your fault, God, that all these bad things are about to happen to us and are already happening to us. And so he, he begins to demonstrate his covenant faithfulness through this history that creation itself is a witness to. And so one of the things he shares with them is that he is faithful. God is faithful. You know, God is always faithful even to us, isn't he? You know, sometimes we look at the things that are going on in our lives and we wonder, where is God? Why doesn't God act the way I think he should act or when I think he should act or how I think he should act? You know, it may not seem like much, uh, but there is a lot here in these verses in th verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. So let's pick up, if you will, again with verse 3 and going down through verse 5. So verse 3 says, All my people, there's that question, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. Tell me. I want to know. Verse 4, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent, you, I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. 
All my people remember what Balak, uh, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So when he gives these, in these verses here, this list of names and places and events that God mentions, there's an even bigger story that's associated with each one of these. He reminds them, I redeemed you from slavery. Uh, that simple statement there, a short reference, uh, but what a long, great, miraculous story connected to it. How when they were in bondage in Egypt, God sent those plagues on the nation of Egypt. He sent the frogs. He sent uh, bloody water. He sent flies. There was a deep darkness. There was death. There was great sorrow. He led them out through parting the seas uh, while they were in the wilderness. Uh, they had water that came from a rock, bread from heaven, uh, shoes and clothes that, that didn't wear out for 40 years. Uh, on and on the stories go. And he begins to list some of those things. Talking about Moses uh, and Miriam and Aaron, uh, names, but more than names. He's saying to them, I have always provided for you. Uh, God's provided leadership for them to protect them and teach them. And so with each name, uh, a history, uh, Moses and the law, Aaron and the tabernacle and worship. And then he mentions Balak and, and Balaam. And he tells us about that story. He tells the story of King Balak coming to the prophet Balaam uh, and asking him to curse the people of God. And at first, he says no. He offers him money and more money with each request, and God wouldn't allow it. And instead of cursing the people, which is what the greedy prophet wanted to do, he pronounced a blessing. It was a reminder that God can bring blessing to his people when the world around them wants to curse and harm them. And that hasn't changed even today. So even out of the worst situations, God has brought blessings for the nation of Israel. And then he mentions these. He says, he, he tells them about Shittim and Gilgal. He's saying to them, I kept my promises to you. The last place they camped in the wilderness and the first place they camped in the promised land. That's what those two places are. Shittim's the last place in the wilderness. Gilgal is the first place in the promised land. And God is saying whether it was in the wilderness or whether it was when you got to the promised land, I've always provided for you. In that journey, God again did miraculous things. You remember when they crossed the Jordan River, what did he do? He dried it up for them. A heap was up the river and, and, and kept the river further up. Uh, he dried that river that was swollen, flooding its banks one to two miles wide at points, uh, massive mountains of water uh, out of the river upstream until all of God's people crossed safely. And what that represented was God bringing them to the land he had promised. God always kept his promises. God had been faithful. God was faithful. He's saying to them, I have been faithful to you. What right do you have to be unfaithful to me? They had no right. God had done nothing wrong. God had, they, they had no tr true grievance against God. They had no right to declare their independence from God, to say, we don't need you anymore, God. It was a product of their own sin, a product of their own depravity and greed. David Pryor wrote this in his commentary, God has always found it easier to get his people out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of his people. And that was always the accusation against Israel, is that they still always wanted to keep going back and back to Israel. It's like you couldn't get Egypt out of them. You know, when we sin, we tend to do the same thing. Why do we do it? Is it because God has failed us in some way? Do we sin because God has lied to us and, or, or maybe misled us? You know, when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to your heart uh, concerning our sin and rebellion, uh, and that could be in hundreds of areas, and asks, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? What would you say? Could you point to where God has ever failed you or ever broke his word to you, truly? If God listed a long list of things that he has done for you to show his faithfulness time and time again in your life, what would be there? What would be on that list? You know, so often we want to say, God, where are you? But we have to, if you look back, you'll see God has always been there for you. Uh, you know, and, and so when we look back at that list, what would be on it? What blessing would God list? 
Well, let me give you a few of the blessings. Life. Life itself. You're still alive and breathing. The breath that you breathe is a blessing from God. The water that you drink to sustain you, the food, the shelter you have over your head, all of those are blessings. Think about the family you have and the family you've had. Even though some may be gone to be with the Lord, God blessed you with them while they were with you. You think about your parents. You think about children. You think about your brothers and your sisters. You know, think about the creation that's around us. You know, if you don't think this is a beautiful world that we live in, in the creation, you need to get outside. You need to get out into nature and see the beautiful creation God has made for us. Waterfalls and lakes and flowers and, and birds and all kinds of animals. Uh, we think of the beauty that's out there in creation, things that bring us joy. But then what about salvation? If God didn't love you, he could have left you in your sin. He didn't have to send his son, his only begotten son, to come and die on the cross for your sins. He loved you and sent his son to die on this cross to give you salvation, to give you forgiveness, to give you a new life, a new beginning. You have a relationship with him. And then as Jesus has told us in the passages we're looking at on Sunday morning, he's saying that I have to ascend to the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Every one of us who are here this morning as New Testament believers or this evening, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within your heart, within your life. You have the Word of God that you can read, you can study. Think about how precious that is when there are millions around the world who, who don't even have a copy, much less a page of the Word of God. Think about people in North Korea. Think about people in China who are limited to the Word of God. And then think about the other blessings like God's patience and His mercy and His grace and His strength and His comfort. And think about what's still out there yet in the future of the blessings of heaven and the security keeping us until that day. Each one of those words, uh, respond, those word responses carries so much with them. Which one of those screams to you, walk away, God hasn't been faithful, God can't be trusted, God isn't good. When you look at all of those things that we've listed, what right do we have to act and live as if there is no God? What right do we have to live on our own terms? We don't. We belong to Him. In fact, that's the way the Scripture describes our relationship to, to God, is that you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. And He has never faltered, and He has never failed in our relationship with Him. And so God asks, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. And just like the nation of Israel, we don't have an answer. Because our God hasn't faltered. And our God hasn't forsaken us. And he hasn't failed us. We have no answer for our sins, only to say that a spark of rebellion still burns in each of us. I look forward to the day when, when the fighting and the sinning stops. God has always been faithful. The question is, what about us? What about Israel? Micah points to our faithlessness. He points to the nation of Israel that they were a fickle people just like we are. You know, singing God's praises and, and declaring his worth and our allegiance one minute and living like the devil the next is what he's talking about happening here. God has always been faithful. That leads us to our second point, that we are faithless. You pick this up in verse 9, down to verse 12. So verse 9 says, The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod, and of whom him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? 
Shall I acquit ma the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. And then you go down to verse 16, and verse 16 says, For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels that I, make you, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. Now, that statement from earlier still rings in our ears that God has a harder time getting Egypt out of his people than getting his people out of Egypt. Now, after calling attention to all his faithful deeds and his covenant loyalty, God begins to point to their faithless deeds and their covenant rebellion. The people had been dishonest. They, they had cheated each other in business. What he's saying there in those verses, uh, if you read there in, in uh, verse 10, he says, Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is a curse? Shall I quit man, in verse 11, with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? In other words, what he's talking about there is that they, rig, they used a rigged scale and faulty weights to do their business with. Uh, weights that weren't true to their markings. That meant that you didn't get paid for or for what you paid for uh, or, or the money you were given which was weighed wasn't as much as you thought because it was a faulty scale uh, and and so they were being dishonest and they were being deceitful that was the mode of operation in their day this was God's people who were doing that these people were were violent they harmed others they walked in the steps of the most wicked kings that you mentioned there in verse 16 of Omri and Ahab they were two of the absolute worst not the ones you would want to imitate, not the paths that you would want to walk. And too often, we even in our day find ourselves following the wrong paths and emulating the wrong people. And when we do this, we find God's judgment on us. We know God's judgment can be swift and hard like what happened with the northern kingdom and what is going to happen with the southern kingdom when they would be conquered and they would be dragged into captivity. God's judgment on sin comes in many subtle ways. When we live in rebellion, there is a meaninglessness to this life. We pour into this life, into this world, only to find that this world does not give us or return to us what we hoped for, what we desired for. It's empty. You're looking for peace and you're looking for things in all the wrong places. And that leads us to our third point, that life is meaningless. It's meaningless without God. So pick up in verse 13. Verse 13, down to verse 15. Verse 13 says, Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. So God says, I'm bringing judgment, and I'm going to wipe out everything you have. You're not going to have anything anymore. I'm going to bring such a grievous blow on you. It's going to make you desolate because of your sins. Verse 14 says, You shall eat but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. So what's the picture here? Do you get the picture of what's taking place here? God is going, to, he's saying, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Isn't that the way God does? He says, if you want to go that way, if you want to rebel against me, if you want to go off in sin, go ahead. But here's the consequences. And essentially, that's what he's saying here about the nation of Israel. He's going to allow them to pursue their desires, but their desires are never going to pan, pan out. They're going to eat and live for the day, but at the end of the day, they're going to find they're still empty. They're still wanting more. Uh, they can't stuff themselves with enough of this world to fill their souls. It, it's like they're trying to live uh, off cotton candy. It just keeps evaporating just as quick as you eat it. You know, we scrap and we scrimp and we save only to find that in this world, you can't keep any of it. You can't preserve any of it. There's not a single person who's ever passed on into eternity that it took all those things with them. It's all left behind. You know, markets crash. Cars break down, 
Houses get older and tend toward decay. Retirement is eaten up by medical bills. You can get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can only to find out that somebody finds a way to pull it out from under you. <laughs> and that just seems like that's life over and over and over. You work and you plant and you sow. That's what the description he's given here. You do all that, but you don't get any harvest. You don't reap. There's no olive oil, he says. There's no grape juice, no wine. It's meaningless. It's empty because of sin, because of life apart from God. It's part of God's judgment. In fact, here's what you see in the New Testament when, when God speaks to us in the New Testament about our own sin. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and fool, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, in verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 12 and verse 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That was God's judgment. Broken cisterns. Cisterns were, were if you ever go to Israel, you'll see some of those uh, cisterns, those places are dug out in the ground uh, for them to get water that comes down a trench from the mountains and collects there in like a well, almost like a reservoir that we would see sometimes today. Uh, I know we had some up in the mountains uh, especially uh, where the water would come down and, and that's your water supply. And, and he says that's what they're doing. Uh, they've dug uh, fountains, uh, these cisterns for themselves, but they're broken cisterns. They've got holes in them and, and they're leaking and they don't hold any water. And, and he says you're, you're going after the ways of the world and it's like you're putting everything in a strainer and it's just all going out the bottom. There's nothing being left for you. That's God's judgment. He has made this world so that it cannot and it will not give you uh, what he has designed for us to find in him. And so the truth is we can't rightly enjoy the pleasures of this life apart from God. All of life's treasures are simply reminders of a greater and eternal joy. And so only when we see God behind and above the good things of this life can we truly enjoy them. Uh, then we're not asking of this world uh, what they have no hope of giving. And so in hearing this indictment, what are the people to do? Well, we skipped over some verses, and that's where I want to come back because this is where God gives them their instruction for what they are to do in the meantime in verse 6 down through the beginning of verse 8. So verse 6 begins... With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for, uh, for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So if God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us and he wants to take us to heaven, why doesn't he just go ahead and do it? Well, the very fact that he doesn't tells us that he still has something for us to do on this earth. He still has a life that he wants us to live here and now. And you can summarize the life of a Christian up in these three words, in the meantime. In the meantime, until he calls us home uh, or until the trumpet sounds, between the time that you're saved and the time he takes you to heaven, what does God want from you? What does God expect from you? What is the, the life God wants you to live? 
You don't have to wonder because there is this magnificent verse here, in verse 8 especially, where God specifically tells us what he requires of us. You see it there in verse 8. Even though this is one verse, in these three statements, it answers the big question of how God wants us to live in the meantime. In order to properly understand this verse, though, we need to remember something as believers. That as a follower of Jesus, you are someone who has had to respond to the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sin, was physically raised from the dead. If we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we will be saved, forgiven, receive eternal life, and have that relationship with God. What a lot of Christians fail to understand is, is that's where the gospel starts, not where the gospel ends. The gospel not only tells us how we're to relate to God, but it tells us also how we're to relate to others. Because in other words, there is this vertical appropriation of the gospel that's to be followed by the horizontal application of the gospel. And so the gospel isn't just something that you uh, believe, it's something that you ought to be living in your life. God not only seeks to justify people who are lost without him, but God also seeks to justify for, uh, for all people whether they receive him or not. That seeks justice for all of them. You know, we have a biblical responsibility to do all that we can as believers to make this world a better place to live. We're to advance both the gospel to the soul and the goodness uh, to the suffering. So what are we to do in the meantime? Well, that's what God tells us in this verse. Now, what we see here is in these first two verses, in verse 6 and 7, this is the people's, the religious people's typical response. They want to do, they want to give, they want to get busy, uh, they want extravagant displays of doing good deeds to, that somehow that's going to cover up their, their sin. It's not that those aren't good things that they're listing, but it's reflective of the misguided worldly spirit that seeks to change and impress and bribe or even to pay God off with, with some kind of religious effort or activity. Burn offerings, think about that. That was one of the costliest things they could do. The entire animal was consumed in the fire. Uh, so w w the question, were they consuming the very best? Uh, yearling calves, thousands of rams or, or rivers of oil used in the grain offerings, maybe giving their children as Abraham did. Uh, the sacrifices, though, what he's pointing out here, were never meant to be a means of, of, of them buying God off, of buying God's favor. It was a sign of what would be required for them to be saved, of what God would provide for them, and of what God had promised to provide for them. Think about, they said, he says there, uh, what about massive gifts that we should give? Uh, things that we could give. A lavish gifts. Is that what God delights in? No, because it's not the gift itself, it's the heart behind it. God doesn't desire gifts. He's not looking for ritual. He's not looking for routine. He wants people who love him, people whose lives are changed. God wants a lifestyle consistent with his word, with his covenant, and with his calling. He wants us not just to do, but to be. And this request to do justice, to treat people right and with respect, to love kindness and to walk humbly is not a new request. God has called us to be the right kind of people if we walk humbly before the Lord and love kindness and not just do kind things, then we will do justice if we do those things. But you cannot do those things, we find out here, apart from God. You need to have first that relationship with God to even be able to start on the, the ground here. So the first part he says is, is that we need to, to, to lead justly in, in the first part there. He says, what is required of you but to do justice? So Micah begins asking the question of all questions there. Once you become a believer, what does the Lord require of you? Now, the word justice there, or justly, is found over 200 times in the Old Testament. It simply means that you're to treat people fairly. You're to treat people rightly. But you also are to advocate uh, that they are treated impartially. For example, Leviticus 24, 22 says, You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So you don't have two different rules, a rule for us and a rule for them. The word used here for same law is the same word used for justice in many other places in the Scripture. In other words, Israel was to have the same law for everybody, whether they're an Israelite or, or and everyone is to be equally protected under the law. Justice was to be blind, whether it was to race or, or, or your socioeconomic status, to your level of education, to your religion. Justice shows no partiality. Now, normally, when you think about the word justice, what do we think about? 
We primarily think about somebody getting what they deserve. One aspect of justice is that people who do wrong are punished. But there's another aspect of justice, and that is that the wrong is not only going to be punished, but the right people, the rights of people, are going to be protected. You know, one of the greatest kings who ever lived wrote these words in Proverbs 31, verse 9. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So justice is giving people what they're due, whether it's punishment or protection. And every time you find the word mishpat in the Old Testament, four groups of people keep coming up. One of those passages is in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, that says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you desire evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. Now back in that day, there were those four groups of people he mentions there, widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor people who had no social power, no political influence, no financial strength. They basically lived at a poverty level, and many of them were only days away from starvation at, at any given moment. Today, we could even expand that to refugees, the homeless, the single parents, elderly people. Simply put, the measuring stick of goodness, whether you're an individual or a nation, is the care and the concern and the compassion for the least of these and for the lost, for the oppressed and the prisoner, for the poor and the immigrant. So yes, we should be involved in, in issues of poverty and unemployment and homelessness and hunger and racism and prostitution and sex trafficking that happens across our nation and, and even abortion. Uh, that's one of the reasons you know, we help with food ministry. We help with our, uh, our sister and brothers down the street here with Westside Nazarene uh, and letting people park here so that they can go down to get the food bags. And we get to minister to them while they're here, uh, serving them water and opening the bathrooms for them to use. Uh, what an amazing opportunity that is. Well, what's amazing is in virtually all of the ancient cultures of the world, the powers of the gods, of all those false gods, were identified not with the outcasts, the widows and the orphans and the aliens, but with the elite people, the people in political power, the generals, the kings, the wealthy. But the God of Israel identified with the orphan, the widow, the alien, the poor. And so unlike Every other little false god that the pagans worship, the big true God of Israel was a god on the side of the powerless and the poor, and so should we be. To be clear, we are to evangelize, and we are to spread the gospel. We're to tell people about Jesus. That is always our number one mission. But we're not only to seek the sheep that is lost, we're to minister to the Samaritan on the side of the road. Lead justly. And then he says, love mercy. The first, required action, the first requirement describes our action. The second one here describes our affection. Notice we're not just to show mercy, we're to love mercy. And to love to show mercy. And we're to love it when others receive mercy. By the way, justice and mercy always go together. It looks as first as if we're talking about two different things, but we're not. Because the word for mercy refers to God's unconditional grace and his compassion on other people. It refers to the action. But mercy also refers to the, to the affection behind the action. You should want justice and do justice out of a merciful love for other people. Now, the Hebrew word for mercy is the Hebrew word chesed. Almost sounds like you're hacking with that. <laughs> chesed. And it may, it's one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. It, it's used over 250 times, and that one English word alone really cannot translate it. Sometimes it's called mercy. Sometimes it's translated as love. Sometimes it's translated as kindness. In fact, most translators usually translate it with two words. They call it loving kindness. Be honest. We all want justice done when somebody does us wrong. We want mercy and grace when we do others wrong. Uh, you know justice is when you give people what they deserve. Grace is when you give people what they don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't give people what they do deserve. And what it's saying is our first inclination when people do us wrong is to give them what they don't deserve. 
Instead of tearing them down, we need to cut them some slack and show them some mercy because the bottom line is this. When you love mercy, you'll live mercy. You know why living mercy and giving mercy is so important? Because if you aren't a merciful person, two things will be true about you in your life. You'll be judgmental and you'll be bitter. There's something liberating in our hearts and our lives about being merciful. There is something liberating about treating the lowliest, the littlest, and the least of these with kindness and with mercy. Yes, you punish evildoers. Yes, confront wrong and, and evil wherever we find it. But whenever we can, wherever we can, and with whomever we can, we need to show mercy and have mercy enough and love mercy enough to show it and to give it. One final thing, I'll just take a minute here to share this last one. Live humbly. Live humbly. That last requirement is the one we really should expect. I want you to notice something. If you leave God out of this equation, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's important that you get this because what this is is not what is required for you to be saved or to be right with God. This isn't performance that you've got to give or do to be right with God. This is the proof that you're right with God. You can't know justice until you've been justified by the judge of the universe. You won't love mercy until you've personally experienced the mercy of God. And you cannot walk humbly with your God until you first walk to this God and surrender your life to him. These things aren't what you do in order to be saved. These things are what you do because you have been saved and after you've been saved. Live in that humility. Show that humility in your heart and in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this word this evening. Father, that we have been told what we need to do. If there's anything we need to do, it is to do justice, it is to love kindness, and it is to walk humbly with you, our God. Lord, may that be the priorities of our life, not things that we do to earn favor with you because there's nothing we could do anymore to earn any more love from you than we already have received out of a free gift from you. None of this helps us to earn a, a, a special standing in heaven before you. It's evidence and proof that we, tr that we truly do and know what we say we know. Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Lord, so often we, we say that with our lips, that we know Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. But yet so often we don't live that in our lives. And the two are contrary to the other. Father, I pray that you'll help us to realize that we cannot say one thing and live the way we want and do whatever we want. That was the accusation against Israel. What have I done? To give you to, that you would do this that you would turn your back upon me god you have always been faithful to us you have always loved us you have always served us rightly and so father i pray that we would love you with all of our heart soul strength and mind and may we love others as ourselves. lord may the holy spirit within us who have truly trusted in jesus as our lord and savior produce that fruit and that spirit within us that we would love others the way you loved us. And Father, I pray that we'll go forth giving the evidence and the proof that we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, may you have your way and your will in our lives. Lord, if we don't know Christ, I pray tonight we would call out to you and ask for forgiveness, repent of our sins, and turn to follow you. And ask you to come into our life and save us and to help us to live for you all the days of our lives. And Father, I pray that you'll help those individuals to publicly profess that faith in Christ and to begin to walk on that narrow path, following you faithfully, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there at home. I know we went just a little bit over there, uh, but glad you were able to be with us. We'll be back Sunday morning, uh, 9.15 for Sunday School. Encourage you to come join us for Sunday School, one of the greatest resources we have. Uh, we have a new members class, or if you're thinking about becoming a member of the church, uh, we'll start this Sunday morning also at 9.15. Brother Tommy Griffith will be teaching that. So come join us for that. But if you can't, we'll see you at 10.30.
online on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter there. Uh, be sure uh, to, to share uh, that. And as I look back, I don't see any prayer requests there at the end. So you have a blessed week, a safe week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.